welcome to Beneath the Surface. Good to have you back. And this is Miss Eve. I'm here with Moray. Yes. Moray, yes. how can you be contacted? Uh, you can catch me on YouTube, Moray Yiftak Ben Don. Um, you can also catch me on Twitter at Yiftak underscore Don. Y-E-F-T-A-H-K underscore D-A-H-N. Sounds good. And I'm at E to the V to the on Twitter. Hit us up. Uh, engage us because we would love to talk to you. So, today's episode is about Deuteronomy 28. Yeah. Now, some of you all are like, yes! <laughs> I really wanted to hear about this episode. I really wanted to hear about this topic. Other people are like, oh, oh, are they going to do this Bible? Here we go. <laughs> Here we go again. Um, but I, re- I, wanna rest ass- I want you to rest assured that uh, there's a specific reason that we're going into this. Mm-hmm. And if you're unfamiliar with the significance of it, hold tight. And if you are, uh, then, you know, hold tight as well because we're going to dive in. So, what does this mean to Hebrew Israelites? And the reason this is coming up, Moran, is because you declared in the last episode, or was it the episode before, mm-hmm. that you self-identify as a Hebrew Israelite. That's correct. And I actually um, would encourage listeners to go back to that episode if you want to hear more because we're moving forward. But what does Deuteronomy 28 mean to Israelites? Well, I just keep, you know, one thing that I keep on hearing every time I go on YouTube or in the street or mm-hmm. I talk to someone who self-identifies as you do, that keeps on coming up. What does sure. it mean to you guys? Um, Deuteronomy 28 is important because it's prophetic of how we would end up here in America, England, and in the four corners of the world. Um, it was, it's toward the end of the book of Deuteronomy 28, which there are, I believe, 34 chapters within the um, book. And it speaks of our slavery. And actually, in particular, it speaks of the slavery that we would endure in the West Indies and here in America. And it speaks to the um, characteristics and the profile of the nation that we would go and end up serving. Wait, wait, so you're saying a book that was written thousands upon thousands of years ago somehow mm-hmm. was able to look forward in time and Prophecy. do a little Miss Cleo? What, yeah, what well, not Miss Cleo, but <laughs> prophetic in the sense of like we were being forewarned that God was telling us that if this is, if you do this, then this is what's going to happen to you. And part of it is because we've lost our identity and our culture (laughs) that when we read Deuteronomy 28, it allows us to begin to regain our identity and regain our culture because then we can start to put two and two together that why are we here in this country? And in particular, in this country of America that we live in, part of the problem is that we're going through an identity crisis as a people. And in us going through an identity crisis, for those who never understood who they were, Deuteronomy 28 is a key indicator of who we were. Wait, let me let me just get this straight because I, from my perspective and from the perspective of a lot of people, mm-hmm. it's clear that we lost our, our identity. But the thing that we think about in terms of what uh, what was a part of the process that caused us to lose our identity was slavery, the transatlantic slave trade. Correct. So are you talking about that? When you say we lost our identity, like we, we were Africans before, and then, you know, maybe we identified as Africans as time went on a little bit into slavery, but then we weren't allowed to beat the drum, weren't allowed to, you know, call ourselves Kunta Kinte, we weren't allowed 
to speak our language and over hundreds of years we lost our identity? Is that what you're talking about? Yes, in part. Um, so this is what we have to understand. Slavery, um, we weren't allowed. Mm -hmm. We weren't given the opportunity to call ourselves other, anything other than what we were branded. Okay. Right? And so we came over here and if Williams was the name of your slave owner, then that's how you identified with, you know, the Williams name, right? And then we took on those surnames. And so what happened as time went on is that we were made to forget who we were. Deuteronomy 28 stops and allows us to understand that. Mm -hmm. That was part of the prophecy. Part of the prophecy was that we were going to forget who we were. We were going to take on our slave master's name. And we also were going to forget who God was and be forced to serve other gods, which is how it is today. We can stop and look in slavery and see how the God we were given on in slavery mm -hmm. was what we know as the Christ of the New Testament. And we were allowed to go to church on Sunday. We stop and we look and we see that that's where slaves were actually pushed to, where when we stop and we look at who we were and how we did things, that doesn't necessarily identify before we landed on these shoes. Well, I, I just have to, I, I wanted to ask another question about that, but I have to have to ask you because you uh -huh. mentioned Christ, the, us being introduced to Christ here. Mm -hmm. But then when I look at the New Testament and, and uh, when I even look at the Bible in general, mm -hmm. it seems like um, it seems like Christ and Christianity and the notion of a Messiah mm -hmm. um, exited Israel and went to Africa, especially East Africa first, uh, before it even went to Europe. And so, you know, we know that the migration patterns in, on the continent of Africa go from northeast all the way through the rest of the continent. Correct. So how is it that the enslaved people here were first introduced to Christ when we became slaves, when Christ was known in, in the continent before, before slave trade? Well, according to my studies, the, the idea of a messiah is not true, but the idea of a white messiah is current with our captivity here. So... You know, you can have a messiah which dates back to Egypt, and they had the idea that there was a man who's going to come and save people. But the idea of a white messiah, and the idea of that messiah being Jesus Christ, hmm. that is very current with Catholicism, Christian Crusades, which you spoke of being in Africa before we got over here, yeah. but popularized when we got over here. So when I speak of that, mm -hmm. I'm speaking of now this is how you are being forced to serve God. When you go, slaves weren't allowed to read, right? And yeah. So when they're not allowed to read, it's like, listen, you're going to go into church and this is what you're going to learn. And you're going to learn it the way that I teach it to you okay. as opposed to what the book says. Okay, so regardless of the, the Christ figure that people in Africa knew about inherently, Mm -hmm. uh, or, or because of the uh, over the course of time we've known about for that for a long time, whether it's thousands of years or, or uh, hundreds of years, mm -hmm. uh, it seems like you're saying that um, either way, that figure wasn't the same one that we were introduced to here on this continent. We were introduced to a person with yellow hair and blue eyes, who of course could not have lived in the Middle East. Mm -hmm. And you know, and, and you think it, you think it was by design that we were given a Messiah that looked closer to the slave master. Um, Absolutely. Rather than to us. Absolutely. And I said, and what's, what's important to note is that, you know, with those Christian crusades, and, you know, you also have the Muslim crusades, you have people who 
they were, it was the idea of just following the religion. But how do they put these images in your mind of what God is? Mm. Those started becoming popular mm. when we came over to this continent. The idea of a picture with the Last Supper. Okay. You know, it's like, okay, what's going on? Like, in Africa, they have pictures of the Last Supper up on the walls of their houses. That wasn't going on like that. And then I stop and I say that. Excuse me. As time went on, mm-hmm. the idea of idolatry, mm-hmm. those things, did, did not become popular here in the West. Idolatry was very popular in the East. But what was popular about it? When you start seeing crosses, right? Yeah. And then, you know, start getting into, and I don't want to get too far off the subject, but yeah. the idea of exorcisms and mm-hmm. a baptism and things of that nature. And it was like, why are these things happening at the time that they're happening? And why do we believe that we need to do, do these things? Mm-hmm. The culture involved with it. Okay. The culture involved was designed to keep a people away from their original heritage mm-hmm. and their original Okay. Yeah, I, there's so much that I could say because I remember going my first time going to Italy. You know, all the iconography in the churches, and mm-hmm. you know, going to see the Sistine Chapel. I mean, honestly, the um, the artistry was incredible. Right. And uh, you know, but, but at the same time, I do remember thinking because you know because I've been a Christian for at that point for like 20 years. So right. When you're reading the Bible on a regular basis, certain things will come back to your mind. And I remember standing there at one particular church, I think I was in uh, Venice, and it just, that that commandment came up, you know, about creating images. Mm-hmm. That, you know, and I just remember just, walking, just looking, and it came to mind, but I really didn't know what to think. Right. You know, because I'm like, well, these people believe in that, in observing that commandment as well. But right. anyway, but yeah, that that's, might be another tough topic for another day. But... Okay. I want to just dig deeper into the Deuteronomy 28. So what okay. is it about? Like, if you can just mention some verses and what those verses say. What, you know, this is a long chapter, so I don't know how many of our listeners will actually read a whole <laughs> chapter, you know? Well, we so, would hope that if we're sitting down talking about it and if it piques your interest, yeah. that if we're saying that it's important to you in reclaiming your identity, that you would take the time to sit out and read it. Because the reality is, is that there's a, definite identifying marker which I said earlier to um, the nation of Israel so some verses that stick out in particular and of course I'm paraphrasing um, I have it in front of me so I can read it if you if you mention the verse okay, or whatever. I'm, I'm sure it's it's toward the end okay. some of the stuff off the top of my head is hard to call mm-hmm. but um, when it talks about that you know your captor would not respect the person of the old mm-hmm. nor of the young Right, And so when we looked in slavery times, and even some parts of post-slavery, we stopped and we seen they didn't show respect to our elders. And they definitely, you know, Emmett Till in particular would be a classic example of the young not showing respect to because they thought he whistled at a white woman, which, you know, we spoke about in the previous episode, Mm -hmm. that, listen, he never whistled at that white woman. She came out later to say that that never happened. But he ended up losing his life because of it. Well, wait, wait, um, but let me just jump on that because you said you said it's toward the end, and I just saw it. 
of uh, verse 49 and 50 specifically, okay. it says, God will bring a nation against you from far, uh-huh. from the end of the earth, right. as the vulture swoopeth down, mm-hmm. a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand, right. a nation of fierce countenance, fierce countenance. that yes. shall not regard the person of the old, mm-hmm. nor show, show favor to the young. Now, let's take that for a but second. But sounds like every people group who's well, ever been conquered. Now, listen, well, listen, but you can say it, but from the ends of the earth, okay. where is it? The vulture that swooping. We sit down and we look at the sign of America, which it's is the what? The eagle. The eagle. That's not a vulture. Well, hey, listen, you're, you're using Hebrew words okay. to sit down and describe animals in English yeah. terms. Yeah. So the idea of this bird that's a bird of prey yeah. and that they will come from the ends of the earth. What people, what people have been taken from a far off land mm-hmm. and forced into servitude someplace else? So, 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 just looking at this one verse, and I know that the chapter oh. has, you know, sixty or however many verses it has. Sure. But you know, when I look at it, I'm saying, well, God will bring a nation against you from far. Okay. So, so if we just, you know, if we just um, look at this verse and and we just break it all the way down, mm-hmm. if I think about the different people groups that were on the western coast of Africa, right. A nation against thee from afar, that's true. Yes. Europe was far from Africa. We're talking a good thousand miles, uh, probably much more that those people had to travel to even get to West Africa. Okay. From the end of the earth, yes, I could see how it would seem like they came from the end of the earth to the mm-hmm. people who, you know, were being conquered. Mm-hmm. As a vulture swoopeth down, yeah, that's unexpected. That's what a vulture does. That, I think that's part of what the appeal of a vulture or any other bird of prey would be. Not appeal, but what... Um, you know the, the how they would actually benefit okay. um, in in accomplishing their task is that they're doing it unexpectedly. So that was unexpected. I know that in West Africa over time, uh, in the beginning, the Portuguese came and a few other groups came for trade. Yes. Um, but then you know then things started to flip, and so it was unexpected to the people living on the ground at that time that soon you would find millions of people being taken. Right to, to, to another continent, and so within that happening, they came to that trade. But don't forget, even African nations, quote unquote African nations, were sitting there and they were selling the idea of human trafficking of right? their enemy, yeah, of their enemy. That's current terms, yeah. right? Sit down and they sell them for what goods. Now, don't forget, it wasn't a big thing because. Those European nations were trying to colonize Africa and were successfully colonizing parts of Africa during that period. Mm-hmm. So it's like, okay, listen, this is what I will give you in return mm-hmm. for human labor. Yeah. Right? And so all of those things were going on. So when we stop and we look at Deuteronomy 28, mm-hmm. we stop and we look and it's like, how how was this nation of people? Mm-hmm. You understand it. There were a nation of people that went far into captivity. Yeah. And I think as we go further on, we get close to, to uh, verse 68. He said, I will send you into Egypt again. Egypt being that figurative spot captivity of or something. bondage. Bondage, okay. So that we stop and we go, oh, we're going to Egypt again by the way of ships. Mm-hmm. And so that when we look and, you know, we got one like, on the spot. You know, we see shows like Roots and that nature. We understand that. We came off those slave ships, right? Yeah. And that when we came off those slave ships, it was in turn to serve our enemies. So that yeah. when that happened, that we stopped and we looked and we said to ourselves, mm-hmm. oh, is this what God was talking about? 
Well, by the way, I just want to say, you know, oh. listener might notice that there are all kinds of sirens behind us. I just right. think it's pretty ironic that, you know, we're talking about something that's an emergency. Right. <laughs> you know, a, a sudden thing and, and, you know, all the extreme, extreme elements of what happened in terms of our ancestors being enslaved and, of course, the, you know, the sirens are going, going on. Mm-hmm. But I just wanted to just finish that verse that we were just talking about. The next thing after the vultures, it says, a nation whose tongue you shall not understand. Well, Correct. You know, we didn't know Portuguese and, right. and, and, and German and mm-hmm. French and English. Right. Um, a nation of fierce countenance. Um, I'm not going to continue with that, but I think that some people would look at a person, you know, devoid of melanin and mm-hmm. the particular fierce, uh, the particular sharpness of facial features and say, boom, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, and you know what, too? You know, we have to remember, like, we can't look at the entire chapter, okay. especially when dealing with biblical verses as everything being literal. Okay. There's some things that are metaphoric. Mm-hmm. And so the fierce countenance is not necessarily of what you see, but okay. of what they do. Okay. And so a lot of times when you sit down and you like, you look at, listen, police. Mm-hmm. You sit down and be like, the way we're being shot. And, mm-hmm. you know, I was watching this thing on OJ. And Johnny Cochran, he sat down, he was like, why did OJ flee? And I don't want to make that a whole nother issue. Mm. But if you sit down, he said, Johnny Cochran, he said, listen, if I was a black man <laughs> dealing with the cops, I would have fled too. <laughs> and that's because we understand what happened with Rodney King. Mm-hmm. And we understand the different people that have been abused by the cops from now on, you know, Amadou Diallo and Admiral Louima and people of, you know, that sort that have been dealt with that way. And so when you sit down and use fierce countenance, mm-hmm. when we refer to cops, mm-hmm. we can stop and say, yeah, they have fierce countenance. Why? Because of the level of the aggression they deal with us. Mm-hmm. I make that point and I use the nexus to stop and say when we dealt with, when they dealt with us in slavery, yeah. in the fierce countenance, we stopped and we looked and we seen how they were dealing with us. They was using a bull whip to discipline us. To discipline they were being. raping our women. Yeah. They were sitting down, they were severing limbs of certain individuals for not obeying properly. So when we look at that fierce countenance, when we look at what God was saying that are people that won't respect you, mm-hmm. right? And he said, and you go into Egypt by the way of ships, yeah. and you talk about um, bars of iron, and mm-hmm. things of that nature, that that's the connection we make. We stop and we see exactly what you were saying um, mm-hmm. you know there a question mark emerges though when it comes to whether the things that are in that chapter are referring to modern times because one thing that I hear about what I hear a lot of uh, people who identify as, as Israelites doing is is they will take that chapter Deuteronomy 28 and then they'll say it applies to modern times mm-hmm. and it's kind of strange to me because you know it when, when I was um, more into uh, theology, mm-hmm. that's something that we would call eisegesis, which is basically imposing your own um, interpretation 
of something Taking on a the verse text. And yeah. making it mean what you want it to mean. No doubt. <laughs> gotcha. And so, you know, when I look through, you know, um, when I look through this chapter, the first part talks about, the, about it seems like it talks about the blessings that people get when they obey God. Mm-hmm. And then the second part seems to talk about or the, uh, the, the curses that come upon people Correct. who disobey God. Right. But when I look, I see that there are some things that seems like they were fulfilled when uh, Israelites were in Egypt in Goshen. Okay. You know, and there are other things that it seems like could have been uh, any group of oppressed people, which is almost every group of people on this planet could have experienced at one time or the other. And oh. then, you know, mm-hmm. um, then you see like verse 63, it's like, uh, you know, he'll rejoice over you to perish. Um, God will rejoice over you to perish and pluck you off the land mm-hmm. um, if you don't obey. Well, a lot of people have been plucked off of land. So I guess my, you know, concern about this chapter being used over and over again is, um, does it prophesy about modern times? And is it talking about these African-Americans? Well, definitely it prophesies about modern times. So let's, let's, let's clear some things. One, it couldn't have been talking about Goshen, even though sometimes we see things that can be parallels. Because this prophecy came after the Israelites already left Egypt, right? So couldn't have been Goshen land. As far as other nations making a claim to this, there's actually only one other nation of people, and it's not really a nation, but a set of people mm-hmm. that identify, which I'm talking about Jewish people, mm-hmm. who stop and say this happened to them. Mm-hmm. No, everybody else is saying this is who we are and this is what our history is. Mm-hmm. Okay, so are we dealing with modern times? What happens with prophecy is you have to stop and ask yourself, there's sometimes prophecy we tend to identify with a small period of time, right? Oh, that happened over the last seven days. Okay. But really, this is a prophecy that's taking place over millennia. It's not taking place in like five years or ten years. This is a constant thing of what the children of Israel did, that they're constantly paying for what they did until okay. they stop. Wait, so wait, wait. So you're saying, and, and some people might say, well, that's convenient, you know. Mm-hmm. You're claiming that it applies <laughs> to anything and everything. That sounds right. like Miss Cleo. Right. Because Miss Cleo says, someday somebody's going to hate you. Um, mm-hmm. Assuming later that's going to happen. Right. So, anyway, um, <laughs> and so, but it sounds like you're saying that over the course of time, so mm-hmm. the time period in which Israelites um, despised God's commandments and, mm-hmm. and, and laws mm-hmm. and disobeyed, and so there were the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Romans right. and the, you know, whoever, people group. It's. Are you saying that um, this chapter describes what happened to disobedient Israelites um, in general throughout various types of captivity? I'm, I'm definitely saying that. And I'm okay. saying that when it says, I'll send you to a nation of fierce countenance, yeah. they're not talking about one nation. He sits down and he says, clearly, I'll send you to the four corners of the world. Yeah. There's no one nation that's in charge of the entire world. You know what? That's really important. This is because, you know, that, that, was, that was something that... Mm-hmm. I'm glad you brought that up because uh-huh. that's another thing, another issue that I've had with that chapter being used over and over. Mm-hmm. Um, because I understand with the transatlantic slave trade, because a lot of people do say this Deuteronomy 28 describes the transatlantic slave trade, mm-hmm. and they're not as balanced as you seem to be mm-hmm. in terms of saying throughout various captivities this can be used. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I look at so when I look at the transatlantic slave trade, yes, that was a triangular trade. So yeah. we know that enslaved um, people 
who happened to be in West Africa at the time and right. ended up in other parts of West Africa. They ended up in South, Central, mm-hmm. and North America, and they mm-hmm. ended up in Europe. But it's like the four corners, you know, the four corners of the earth would include Asia and Australia, you know, and, and this particular manifestation of captivity did not necessarily send us over there. So this is what I stop and say. When you go into captivity, you're not always going necessarily by servitude, right? Sometimes it's by flight. Like, every, every time I sit down and I tell people, I'm like, you know, Moses was a fugitive. Yeah. Moses Egypt. was off in Midian, mm-hmm. and he had to leave Egypt. Yeah. Now, Joseph, he went into servitude. He was snatched. He went into Egypt, right? Yeah. Not that he wanted to be there, but he was in the hand of the, the Ishmaelites. Then he went to the Midianites, then he was sold into Egypt. Mm-hmm. So... For some reason, we're we're willing to accept that he went from the hands of one people to another people to another people, and that was his plight. Hmm. But the tractors of Deuteronomy 28, oh no, it must be only one spot or else it's not accurate. And so this is what I stopped and said. This is what we have to know. Listen, the prophecy starts with us getting kicked off the land. Now, God didn't say you'll just be at one people. So what we started off with Hmm. is the Assyrians. The northern kingdom went into um, captivity one way. Then you have the Babylonians who came to the land. Then you even have the Egyptians who came back and who we tried to make an alliance with them. And the Babylonians came and found them over there. And then after we realized with the Babylonian captivity, we went back for a short period. But then there were other nations that came along the way. Yeah. And so what I stop and say is like, listen, even if America fell today... Mm-hmm doesn't mean that Deuteronomy 28 would not still be in effect. Hmm. Deuteronomy 28 stops being in effect when we go back to our land and we become a sovereign nation once again. Other than that, we're just changing hands of our captives. Hmm. But God is still punishing his people. Okay, so, and that's, you know, oh man, and that's another thing, God punishing his people. One thing, uh, the one thing that I just can't help but to ask mm-hmm. is uh, when you have a people that Deuteronomy 28 and other parts of scripture itself says would forget, mm-hmm. then why would, and in what purpose would it serve, and what good would it do for God to con- continually punish generations upon generations of people who would not know why they're being punished? Because we rejected him. And so part of the prophecy is that we wouldn't always forget, but there were certain people who were going to die. Right? And he wanted them to pay. Just like the children of Israel that spent 40 years in the wilderness. Mm-hmm. That generation that left Egypt, he didn't want them in his land. I think two ended up there or something like that. Right. But the children, yeah. they went into the land. Okay. So, my point is, is that it's not that God didn't want us to know. He wanted us to pay. And he wanted us to understand why he was doing to us what he was doing. Why he was doing what he was doing. And so... I stop and I say that erroneously we would stop and think, oh, you know, this is what God wants. But the only thing we can, the only thing we know with certainty what God wanted is for us to serve him. We don't, he didn't put a time frame or when Deuteronomy 28 would end. You know, a lot of times I sit down and I say for biblical scholars, they try to make the association that, oh, because it says we went into Egypt by the, we'll go into Egypt again by the way of ships. Yeah. That we were in Egypt for 400 some odd years. So we'll be in America for 400 some odd years. 
There's nothing to indicate that thing. Nothing in the scripture indicates that. This will go on for as long as it takes for us to get it right. And then it can come back from there. And so I stopped and I said, I'm like, listen, when you look at Genesis and we look at Adam and Eve, Mm -hmm. right? He sat down and he told the woman, he said, because you didn't listen to the man, um, your desire will be for him. And we all know that part. He said, and in pain shall you get childbirth. I'm paraphrasing, right? So I stopped and I said, what was the time frame for that? It wasn't just for Eve. He was talking to Eve, but it's for women across the expanse of time. Well, that's the thing that's, that's confusing to me, though, because if, we, if, if human beings are not supposed to pay for the sins of others, I mean, that's that's one of the issues that uh, some Israelites have, those who who are who don't believe in uh, the New Testament Christ, okay. um, would have against the notion of New Testament Christ, mm-hmm. because they look at another part of Scripture that says the Father... You know, a son won't pay for the sins of his father, vice versa. So why would we here in America, in this wilderness, as Malcolm X called it, mm-hmm. be punished, be, you know, be experiencing punishment for something that previous generations did? Well, this is what we have to understand about God. God has put things in an order. Okay. When we disrupt that order, that's when we have to pay. So... What, what we what we erroneously believe is that is that things should operate a certain way. Yeah. It's like, okay, well, listen, I I need to be given the opportunity to um, live in the time before the flood. So because I didn't do what those people did to um, mess up the world and cause God to bring a flood on the world. Mm-hmm. But no, they messed up. Yeah. What was going on? You, in turn, are dealing with um, the consequences the of what co- they did. Not the consequence. No. I think a better term would be the collateral damage. Okay. Of what has happened. Mm-hmm. You listen. You woke up. You woke up into this. We came into this world, and this is what was going on. Yeah. Only thing you can do at that point is fix it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times we stop and we believe. Like, oh, I'm, I'm paying for somebody else's something. Why? Because we don't want to deal with the collateral damage of it. But the fact is, is that our parents made a conscious decision to do what they did. Yeah. And God punished them for it. Mm. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. So, you know, when I look at some of the things mm-hmm. that are mentioned in Deuteronomy, I think, isn't there a verse? I'm going to look it up. Mm-hmm. But isn't there a verse that talks about people standing on street corners and, <laughs> and, you know, or at least maybe it's interpreted like that. Um, well, you know, you're gonna have to and, bring that one out for me. Or, <laughs> you know, I mean, you know, the way that I've heard it is like, you know, there are people who um, uh, are were called outside of our names, mm-hmm. and um, young men are standing on the head of the street. I do. You become and, a proverb and a byword. Yeah, proverb and byword. Yeah, actually, it's verse thirty-seven. I just found it. Okay. And and now shall become an astonishment. Yes. A proverb and a byword among all the people, whether God shall lead thee away. So it's just like, what in the world? These people, what's wrong with them? You know, and the way that I've heard that interpreted is, why are they wearing their pants on the ground? It's like showing the body, showing the butt cheeks, and and, and being called outside of our names with the N word, and you know, all those different things. Well, a proverb and a byword is just that, right? When they change your names. Mm -hmm. And so, a lot of times, I stop and I say, like, you know, sometimes you got to call it for what it is. Mm-hmm. We can, when you become a proverb, that's become something either you want to do or you don't want to do. 
Yeah. Right? That's usually how the proverb works. Yeah. And the byword is like having a surname and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of times how it's taught is you'd be like, yeah, we would call niggas, coons, spades, mm-hmm. spicks, all that other stuff, right? Yeah. I said, but when we got here, we were, we were Negroes and the colored people. And even still to today, they don't really know how to label us because we look at applications and be like black, but not Hispanic. <laughs> and you be like black, um, part Latino, and then you have black, but not of Native American descent. Then you have Native American, and you sit down and you're looking at all these choices and okay. it's like, but but but, but there's, there's one, you, you don't get white, but not Latino. White, well, but not black, Native but, American yeah, yeah. descent. Yeah. You sit down and you're like, well, where's this labeling coming from, right? Mm-hmm. And you have that problem with race. Yeah. So part of the pro- part of the proverb, part of becoming the proverb and the byword mm-hmm. is that race would be introduced mm-hmm. and that we would actually forget who we were mm-hmm. and that we wouldn't be allowed to call ourselves who we were. And so that as those things happen, we now know and understand that God was telling us of a future time to come. about Deuteronomy 28, one thing that ultimately comes to my mind is how important is it in the first place, whether it's talking about contemporary times, who it's talking about, um, who it's prophesying of, is there a bigger picture or bigger issue at play where maybe perhaps we can read it and we can learn something from it regardless of what you believe about who it applies to. Well, here's the thing about Holy Scriptures, right? Mm-hmm. The reality is that if there's a God in the sky <laughs> and there's a chosen people, then this prophecy happened and there is something that's going to happen. And so, it's the question that, you know, is the question of, of ages, okay. right? No, if this is who we are, mm-hmm. then why did all of this, why was all of this allowed to happen? Mm-hmm. And, you know, was slavery really a choice, a la oh, Kanye God. West, right? Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and where are we going with this? Because if indeed the Bible is true, mm-hmm. and if indeed we sit down and we live ourselves and conduct ourselves by moral code of what's in the Bible, what's in the Holy Scriptures, mm-hmm. then... God is speaking about a chosen people who will forget who they are, who have become a proverb, who have become a power, and that they will eventually regain their identity and do something that will please God and bring them back to his land. And so I say that's when Ezekiel 37, Ezekiel 38, Ezekiel 39 start to come into play. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we start talking about the valley of the dry bones. Mm-hmm. And son of man, can this, can this bone... Can these bones yet live? And, you know, he's saying, oh, oh God, only thou knowest. And so as we get there, is it important? Yes, it's important because in modern day, in modern times, there are people who here in America and across the world abroad who collectively, the black man, is having an identity crisis of we are taking on names and 
taking on different identities mm-hmm. of what we think our ancestors are into without actually having the whole story. And so that as we come together, I'm not saying that every person of quote-unquote color yeah. is an Israelite, but there are those who don't know who they are and of those who don't, who don't know who they are, are they indeed the Israelites? And so if they are indeed the Israelites and if we're still suffering from identity crisis, then Deuteronomy 28 is applicable in this modern era. But why is it so important for people to go through the trouble of trying to find a lost identity? Hundreds of years have passed. In the midst of that time, people have been born, they live their lives, and they die. What difference does it make? Why don't you like? Why don't people just throw up their hands and say, "What well, my identity has been lost"? In some ways, I have no way of knowing what it is, but I have a life to live. You know, who cares whether my name is Smith? One thing that I liked about what Malcolm X said is pretty ironic to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was one thing that he mentioned where he where he basically said that you calling yourself Jones mm-hmm. or Smith. Mm-hmm. Would be like you, a Chinese man coming up to you and you say, "What is your name?" and and he says that his name is John Williams. Right. He's like, and and, and I, I'll never forget because I, sometimes I listen to uh, Malcolm X's speeches. He he literally said in this speech, "You would look at that man like he was insane." Right. <laughs> Absolutely insane. And so, mm-hmm. um, but anyway, so I can understand that, but. Not really, because when we have our names, it's our identifying markers, right? You know who I am? I'm Maury Yiftak. Mm-hmm. And Maury Yiftak has a history. He has his, he has a past. His family has a history. It has a past. And it lets us know where we're headed. See, I sit down and I say all the time, we take God out of the equation. You sit down and you go like, all right, well, who cares? I'm here and that's it. Yeah. But is that your destiny? Mm-hmm. Is, that, is that your fulfillment in life? What is it that you have to do for you, right? And so when we stop and we ask ourselves, like, does it care? Do Should we care? Why does anybody name themselves what they name themselves, right? Or why does any, why does any nation preserve their culture, mm-hmm. preserve their name, preserve yeah. the way they eat, the land they live on, how they got there? Okay. Why? Because God has put things in motion in a certain way. That there are certain people here for a time and a season to do a certain purpose. And you can't find out what your purpose is in life if you have nothing that identifies you. The lion doesn't stop and go, hey, listen, I'm an elephant. (laughs) Right? Be like, you and if you seen a lion acting like an elephant, we'd be like, what's going on here? I use a simplistic example of animals, but people don't like to hear it. When we see white people acting like black people, we're like, what's wrong with him? And so it's the same thing, vice versa. When black people act like white people, black people, white people might not have a problem with it, but black people are like, why are you acting white? Right? And then, so we stopped and we made the conversation, and I don't want to necessarily turn this into a race conversation, but we stopped and we're like, well, what is exactly acting black? Yeah. What is exactly acting white? But we can yet, we can all agree, we can identify when somebody's acting black. But when somebody's acting white. I mean, it's misconstrued a lot of times. Right. You know, a lot of times the positive attributes, like being able to speak correctly. Articulate. You know, or, mm-hmm. you know, basically articulate or, you know, be marrying the person that you love. Things that are really basic to human beings. They would say, you know, some dysfunctional people will say that's acting white. But I think your comment is kind of going beyond that. Mm-hmm. You know. And I, I sit down and I say, it's like, listen, 
we we know the difference between when somebody's acting wicked and when somebody's acting godly. Mm. We can sit down and we identify it. We we get a good feeling when we say somebody's acting godly yeah. and somebody's acting wicked. All of a sudden, we can't make a differentiation mm-hmm. when somebody's acting black or when somebody's acting white. And of course, there's certain things where there are people trying to blur the lines. Or a man acting like a woman or a woman acting like a man. Correct. Okay. You know, femininity, masculine. That's really interesting because like the thing that comes to mind just when I said that, mm-hmm. just what, what also followed in my thoughts is when, if I'm a man and I'm acting like as a woman, I'm, I'm a woman. Mm-hmm. So as a woman, if I were to start behaving like a man, and right. not only is there something wrong, but I think not only is something wrong on the surface, but I think something else comes into view, and that is I left yeah. a woman behind. Come on, yeah. And so who is that? Who is going to be the woman that was created to be a woman? So let's talk about Deuteronomy 28. Okay. I got to jump in right yeah, there because it talks do. about that woman who was of tender, excuse me. Mm-hmm. Who was of tender, and I believe that's somewhere around verse 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. Who was a delicate woman who wouldn't let the sole of her foot touch the ground. Yeah. And she'll eat like the afterbirth or something of that nature, which speaks to slavery, which speaks to um um what do you call that? That Willie Lynch syndrome mm-hmm. of you know just dealing with the fierceness. And, you know, just the, the extreme measures that we had to go through in slavery yeah. that make us act a certain way. Hmm. That prophecy is there. Wait, wait, let me read that. It's verse 56. Uh, mm-hmm. It says, the tender and delicate woman among mm-hmm. you who would not adventure to set the soul of her foot upon the ground mm-hmm. for delicateness and tenderness. Right. Her eyes shall be evil against the husband of her the bosom. Hus- yes. And against his son and against her daughter. And so that's what we see in these days and times, right? When we sit down and we talk about relationships and how come our marriages can't last mm-hmm. and do we have overlaying problems that actually fall into a but we're dealing with captivity mm. and so that's where the prophecy happens there that we see it in these modern times mm. in these days and times it's like listen a woman can't be a woman anymore mm. because of the captivity that she's living in and so we stop and I sit down and say all the time it's like we've automatically identified captivity with a bullwhip if somebody ain't hitting you with a whip then you ain't in captivity. You're doing good because you're making money. But really, captivity is adverse conditions, right? Adverse conditions in a land that is not yours, yeah. being told what to do yeah. by somebody who doesn't have your best interests in mind. Hmm. Question is, are we doing that in these days and times? Hmm. And so then comes the question of, hmm. well, are, are we doing this? Do we have a choice to leave and do what we have to do? But as we know, with all things, there's the psychosis of you being told, oh, listen, you're free to go Mm -hmm. and do whatever you want to do, but the person who is being subjected to what they're being subjected to, they stop and they tell themselves, oh, I can't leave. Hmm. So, like a battered woman, right? Yeah. Person who's been dealing with a narcissist. Hmm. We stop and we look at those people and we're like, how come they never chose to leave? And now yeah. it's more popular now to say, stop questioning how come they never chose to leave and give them credit for finally deciding to leave. It doesn't matter how long it took them. Give them credit that they got out of that negative situation. Yeah. That's what we're dealing with as a people in these days and times. Mm. The effects of Deuteronomy 28 so, yeah. living well, under adverse conditions. Yeah, and, and so, if there, so if God created a people group 
who he called to uh, be a light to the nation. That he, you know, someone that, a group of people Mm -hmm. who he, um, if you go back to, if if we go back to verse 15 of this chapter 28, um, where where, where where the chapter switches over to, from from what would happen to you that's great if you follow, Mm -hmm. to what will happen to you if you don't, Mm -hmm. it says, but it shall come to pass if you will not hearken unto the voice of uh, Yahweh thy God to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes which I command thee this day mm-hmm. that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee mm-hmm. and then it starts talking and then it lists all these curses so what I'm trying to say is that if God created this group of people with the purpose of obeying commands mm-hmm. and statutes to serve as an example to the rest of the world and to themselves about what God wants us to do mm-hmm. but instead of doing that you have a group of people who are abandoning their own language and each speaking somebody else's abandoning their own names and taking on other people's abandoning their own cultures and traditions in favor of some, then it seems like there's a vacuum well not necessarily it seems mm-hmm. like who, who's fulfilling the whatever it is that God called that one group of people to do okay so um, I believe that there's certain things in life that's absolute, okay. right? So you can't stop being who you are. Book mm-hmm. of Bible also talks about kind of let the change its spots, yeah. right? So you are who you are. How you decide to profess who you are is an entirely different conversation. Okay. So, you know, if I'm a man and I choose to dress up like a woman, that ain't got nothing to do with God. That's what I chose to do, mm-hmm. right? And so... We're not going to take that because that's another conversation for another day. I said, however, God is saying as part of your punishment, I will force you to serve another nation. And, you know, you'll do it. And out of fear of what that nation will do, you'll be obedient. Mm -hmm. So where's the line? Well, here's, here's the thing. You can't say there's a line when you're not following commandments. It's hard to say what the line is because you might have some people and it's possible you might have some people they're like, hey, listen, I'm American. Yeah. I like being American. I don't feel that I'm ignorant by saying that, you know, this is what I am. This is how I feel I am. Mm-hmm. Even Americans, they migrated from another place and now they're saying this is who they are. Yeah. Englishmen, Spaniards, things of that nature, right? You got people from Ireland, and, mm-hmm. you know, so they stop and they go, oh, but I'm Irish American. Mm-hmm. And then you might have like the sixth generation who stop and they go, no, I'm full-blooded American. Mm-hmm. So I say all of that to say is that you know, not every black person is an Israelite, which you heard me say early in the show. Yeah. And then there's some people who are Israelites who are like, I don't want to identify with being Israelites. Mm-hmm. Part of that is the curse. Part of that is just a conscious choice. God is not here to save everybody. Mm. He did say a remnant will be, a remnant will return. Wow. Well, understanding the remnant is only part of the nation, only part of the people. So, hey, listen... There are those who will stop and, you know, they'll come along and they'll identify and they'll understand that because of the slavery that we've endured, this is who we were before we landed on that shore, on that shore. And there'll be some, they're like, hey, listen, this is who I am. And they'll remain. Hmm. And that's okay. Yeah. Just remember that God is judging us all. So no matter how we do, no matter how we look at it, no matter how we spin it, 
God is judging each and every one of us in our day-to-day lives. And with something that we have to learn to accept, God doesn't want everybody. Mm. And wow. we we're like, oh, you can't talk like that because you know, how do you know God is not talking about you? And I use as my point of reference the children of Israel that went into the wilderness for 40 years, that generation, God did not want them. Mm. He wanted their children. Mm. And so he, he told them, you're going to die in this wilderness. But the straight truth is, he's like, I don't want you. You are not worthy of living in my land. And so that as we sit here in captivity and we deal with the things that we deal with, I stop and I say, Deuteronomy 28 is in full effect. Okay. It applies in these days and times. We think that there's going to be this, this mass exodus like in Egypt, yeah. like everybody's coming out and we're leaving out with our hand. Mm-hmm. That's not what scripture says. Mm-hmm. The scripture says a remnant will be determined, wholly determined in righteousness, meaning that there will be people who desire to serve God. Okay. Those people will be quote-unquote saved. Those people will have quote-unquote salvation and that there will be some sit and endure what's happening here and they won't mind. Well, to the listener, we just went beneath the surface. I, I think we went way beneath <laughs> this time. So, of course, we both encourage uh, everyone who listens to, to read the chapter. Absolutely. And then see what you can get out of it mm-hmm. and, uh, and respond in kind. Have a good one.